Meta is ready to unleash its Twitter rival. Meta is the company that owns Facebook and Instagram, and they're getting ready to launch Threads as Elon Musk continues to find new ways almost every day to frustrate the Twitterverse. Can you celebrate Canada Day and also be an Indigenous ally? Somebody on Twitter was suggesting no, so we decided we would discuss this with our friend David Robertson, who is an award-winning author and also happens to be Indigenous. And following up on Tuesday's discussions about much music, we asked you today, is there a show or channel that either was or is a staple in your life? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on vacation for a couple of weeks. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, July 5th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb, off for a couple of weeks. 11 degrees to start the day. Cooler morning. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all, Brett. Had all the windows open last night. It was so nice to get some fresh air into the house. Turn off the air conditioning. So for those of you who do not have air conditioning, I can imagine this was a huge sigh of release. A sigh of relief over the last, uh, oh, I guess about 15 hours or so when the temperature started to cool down. And, you know, it's just nice to get outside and and just not be overwhelmed by the heat. Mm. I said to the, I said to my friend at the Tim Hortons this morning, she handed me my, my tea. I said, remind me that I'm enjoying the cooler weather when it's minus 35 in January. (laughs) I said, you know, I I hate to complain about the heat. We've had such a spectacular summer on so many fronts, but for those that work outside, for those that maybe are unsheltered and, and those that don't have air conditioning, it's been, it's been somewhat oppressive, hasn't it? Well, Jim, we just learned yesterday that uh, June was the, the second hottest month on record in Manitoba. Uh, or the second hottest June on record in Manitoba. And I think, what did I see? Churchill saw its hottest month ever. Um, it looks like June was the sec, just the straight up second hottest month in Manitoba's history. And July and August are no different. And there was a thing about the, that Monday was the hottest day recorded ever on earth. I saw that on uh, Global News last night. And so those numbers are startling. You mentioned Churchill. You're wearing your gorgeous Sea Bears hat or one of... You have a couple already, don't yep. you? <laughs> and I want to get a third one there. They've got one that's all teal. Oh, magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> so that collection is building. But uh, one of my friends said, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but she told me we're at a birthday party on uh, Canada Day for my friend Mark. Happy belated again, Mark. Um, that they were actually swimming. There were people at the beach swimming in Hudson Bay. Really? In Churchill over the weekend because it was so warm up there. Yeah, they had a heat warning last week. So, so yeah, it's, take it, that for what it's worth. It is, and it's going to be just looking at the the long term forecast here for the next seven days. It's eight degrees, by the way, at the airport, so a little bit cooler at the airport. But uh, yeah, like we so for today, once again, we're looking just for a high of nineteen, and then uh, for tomorrow. Uh, a bit warmer tomorrow, back up to 26, but then Friday, 22, Saturday, uh, sunny and 24, 22 degrees on Sunday, but then it looks like it starts to warm up again. Monday, sunny and 25, Tuesday, sunny and 28. The normals for this time of year, by the way, uh, low 13, high 26. But yeah, it was weird this morning. I looked at the weather. Well, first of all, yesterday I'm sitting in my apartment. I got the windows open. I'm wearing a sweater and my air conditioning kept turning on. I'm like... <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> no, it's been nice. To, I'm happy to have the air conditioning, and it has actually been working. This is the fourth year I've lived in this Great. building, and it's it's always a source of problems, but they f- seem to have figured it out. So it's been working well this summer. But yesterday it kept turning on, and I was cold in, already with the w- windows open. So I don't. I kept having to stand up and turn it off. But it was nice to to sort of be cool and not like artificially cool from the AC. I think this just goes to show we're never happy. No. <laughs> no matter no. the circumstance, we can always find something to gripe about. I suppose that's human nature. Rudy says, I think which winter is approaching. <laughs> it, well, it's always approaching. Yeah. You know, once we get over a certain, to a certain time, 
it's obviously uh, uh, further off than, than you might imagine, Rudy. Hopefully it's it's months away. But th- this has been a spectacular summer on many fronts. But th- once again, to get this break from the heat, probably really good for a lot of folks. Okay, so feel free to weigh in on that. Uh, oh, and by the way, also one of our colleagues pointed out the uh, GST rebate. The Canadians eligible for the GST credit are expected to receive that special payment today, the, the grocery rebate. So 11 million Canadians will receive this additional money alongside the regular GST credit payment. That's the one that was promised way back in January. Yeah. It took this long to uh, get it sorted out. So and good things happen to those for those who wait. Yeah. So Patience can, is virtue. <laughs> couples with two children. So again, this is just for those who are eligible. Couples with two children can expect to receive up to an extra $467. And single Canadians without children can expect up to an additional $234. And seniors can receive an extra 225 on average. So just a heads up on that. If you see some extra money in your account, that's probably what it's from. And uh, we also wanted to just, uh, and we'll get more into this a bit later on this morning, but they, they caught uh coyote and uh, put it down, euthanized it humanely, as they say. We'll, we'll play Catherine Dornian's story later on in the program. It's sort of startling when they film a news story in places that you're used to going. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my neck of the woods. That is my neighborhood. And I've mentioned many times before this, uh, story these these just terrible uh, attacks by the coyotes on these two y- youngsters in our neighborhood. Uh, I've been mentioning for years the coyote sightings. We, we've been living living alongside coyotes in North Caledonian since I've lived there. I would confess that in the last four or five years, though, those sightings, at least for me, have gone up. Uh, seeing coyotes in in groups or packs little bit concerning. I've seen that once or twice, uh, but it's not uncommon to see one trotting along Chief Peguis Trail. And then just a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I'd seen one at the intersection of Henderson Highway and Chief Peguis Trail on my way into work. And he kind of, he or she kind of dashed diagonally from the south, southeast corner to the northwest corner and just carried on uh, its merry way. And of course, we've got that Pioneer's Greenway that runs uh, northeast you know, it's an active transportation route, but that connects straight up to East St. Paul now. You can go right up into Birds Hill. And I know coyotes have been a factor up in that part of, part of uh, our metropolitan area for a long, long time. So uh, it's just odd to see the news story and go, oh, yeah, I'm there all the time. So a little bit of a relief, I would say, in North Caldonan this morning. Over a dozen Winnipeg fire crews and about 20 pieces of equipment, including three aerial ladders, were called to the scene of that massive fire on Sutherland Avenue between Maple Street North and Argyle when a large fire began around 5 a.m. yesterday morning. There's still a fire unit, an ambulance, and a police uh, unit on the scene as we speak. Deputy Fire Chief Tom Wallace said the area impacted by this blaze is the equivalent to an entire city block, and the impacts of this fire On the North Point, Douglas neighborhood will be smelt, seen, and felt for days, weeks, and even months to come, Brett. Marshall Weeb is a member of Point Douglas Residents Committee. Well, uh, everything is uh, concerning, alarming, uh, distressing, uh, all of the above, and a feeling of uh, this morning of finding out there's a fire a block and a half from our house. uh, A feeling of here we go again. Um, uh, yeah, as you mentioned earlier in wintertime, we had a fire at 843 Main Street. Your listeners might remember it as the old Kern Hill Furniture Building. That's directly across my back lane. Um, so these uh, large fires are absolutely alarming uh, and concerning. I think for my neighbours, all the residents uh, that I speak to, uh, yeah, we're, we're very uh, alarmed and concerned. By the way, Mr. Weeb, has that been cleared up yet along Main Street or does the rubble remain? The rubble remains. I invite any of your listeners who drive down Main Street can see for themselves. It's a a huge eyesore, and um, basically nothing has happened uh, since the fire was was put out. Um, That was about two and a half months ago. Weeb and Selboros, coordinator at Point Powerline, joined Julie Buckingham and Richard Cloutier on the news yesterday afternoon to discuss the state of the inner city, how to prevent these fires from happening and what to do in the aftermath. We have to do things differently. You know, Danny Smythe said we were, Winnipeg's not a war zone. 
he's correct for 90% of the city, but for uh, 10 to 15% of the city, the inner city, two leading uh, members of the inner city activists, we spoke to city council a few weeks back, both described their neighborhoods as war zones. And with the number of demolished, burned buildings in our neighborhood, it sure looks like one as well. And Burroughs says one of the answers is more options for young people. The city of Winnipeg has cut most of the recreation programs in the inner city over the last the last two mayors. We're hoping the new mayor will be more positive. But we're, we're looking at spending $85 million out in Linden Woods for a new rec center, and there's no budget for any recreation. We've got 14-year-old and 15-year-old charged with murder. We know there's some young people involved in the arson. This is not the only answer, but we must have a massive increase in recreation facilities and recreation activities for kids in the inner city. And the Tri-Government Task Force on Illicit Drugs uh, talked about that as well. One factor in many things that need to be done to stop the fires and to enhance our inner city. Mayor Scott Gillingham was asked about this assertion from Burroughs. One of the investments we are making as a city is uh, is in a WASAC, the Winnipeg Aboriginal Sport and Recreation. In the, in the North End, in the North Point Douglas area, are, are making investments and, and specifically running program programming at the old uh, X site. There is a project going on, they're going to be going on there where we're redeveloping that space to expand the programming that WASAC can provide. And they do an outstanding job of providing youth-based uh, programming and activities, mostly for young people in the North End. So that's an investment the city of Winnipeg is making. And uh, that, that reconstruction and renovation work uh, project will, will, begin, uh, will begin soon. Long-term recreational strategies may be one part of the solution. In the meantime, there are sites all over the inner city where the rubble from fires needs to be removed, particularly 843 Main Street. Fires took place in February. Within a week or two weeks, the city had issued an order to clean up. But because there's asbestos on those sites, uh, on those properties uh, on Main Street, the province issued a stop work order requiring the property owner to, to put a plan in place to mitigate the asbestos remediation. So then in that case, it's kind of out of the hands of the city of Winnipeg at that but point. But it's, it's going, going into the air. Like, this just makes no sense to me. Well, no, again, this, this is something that's quite frankly out of the city's hands. I wish those sites were cleaned up too. But when you've got asbestos, there's provincial workplace health and safety orders that the property owner there has to comply with the province on. Richard Cluche expresses the frustration of many Winnipeggers. Frankly, if it was in your ward or where I live or where a lot of people live in this city, it would have been cleaned up by now. But because it's on Main Street for whatever reason, and I'm not blaming you for this, but I think we all can share the blame that this is still allowed to happen because of where it is. Well, I had a tour of uh, a couple weeks ago, just on my own, took a tour of some of the sites in the North End where there are properties that are vacant, boarded up buildings or property, you know, residential properties where there's been fires. And I said the same thing. I pulled over and talked to some residents there, and I mean it. It doesn't matter where you live in the city of Winnipeg. No one should have to put up with a prolonged, unsightly, you know, pile of debris sitting beside you or a vacant boarded up building that could becomes a safety hazard. And that's really what this is. It's about safety. It's about neighborhood blight. And, uh, and, and this, we're trying to make changes so that sites get cleaned up faster. So what's the plan then for ensuring these sites are cleaned up sooner, maybe even before a fire takes place? We are making changes and we've actually brought in changes that will streamline uh, the demolition permit process. And, and it's because you know, I don't want to see my council colleagues do not want to see uh, properties sit, properties where there's been a fire or a demolition. We just don't want to see those sites sit with the the debris, you know, for months on end. So we're bringing in processes right now, or what it had been in the past is that you could not get a demolition permit unless you had a building plan and, and building permits. Now we're making changes so that a property owner can get a, a demolition permit without having to provide building plans so that we can get uh, unsightly properties, vacant properties, or in this case where we're going to have a fire damaged property, get that demolished faster, get the site cleaned up. Now, on the cleaning up of the sites, I wish they were cleaned up too. So is this enough? Is it going to be enough? Is this soon enough? I guess we can argue that until the cows come home, Brett. But uh, this strategy moving forward, uh, 
gosh, I get suckered into using that every once in a while, that whole idea of moving forward. We, we need to, we need to come up with solutions. Uh, one of our listeners here <laughs> suggesting that we've tried to increase recreation for the youth. It hasn't worked. Same texter, same listener saying that more and more people and businesses will be leaving Winnipeg. There is no solution to this insanity. Well, that's your opinion, listener, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. But that's not a strategy that works for me. That's not a thought process that works for me. And I doubt it works for a majority of Winnipegers that that call this city home. What can we do? What do you think we need to do? I want to hear from you. Solutions, not uh, surrender or white flags and giving up on on what's going on in our city. Because uh, guess what? Uh, I want to live here for years to come. And things need to change. What do we need to do? 204-780-6868. What are we missing here? And on just on the subject of that rubble on Main Street, it was over a month ago that the mayor was on this program and told us that's when we learned, well, we want it cleaned up too, but the province issued this stoppage because of the asbestos. That's over a month. So what's happening there? Like Why? <laughs> Get it done. It is Mackling and McGarry. Before we tell you how you can win stuff, one quick thought from listener Len, Greg. Morning, bros. Speaking of fire cleanup, the Rennie Hotel is still a pile of rubble and garbage. I don't know how area residents and community feel about the mess. Uh, Plus, I'm sure the rodents really love this. Doesn't just happen in the city. That from Len. So appreciate that perspective from you. 204-780-6868. Where's the Rennie Hotel? That is uh, out in the uh, in the white shell. Okay, yeah, th- that's right. Thank you, Len, uh, and thanks for the follow up. Wow, geez, that's been a long time. So we have tickets to give away for Friday's Bomber game against Calgary, or to the world's largest inflatable obstacle course, the Monster, coming to IG Field August fourth to the seventh. And it's a follow up conversation. Yesterday, just after nine o'clock, we spoke with Sean Menard, who is the director of Two Ninety Nine Queen Street West. It's a documentary about much music. And the Much Music Experience Tour is coming to Winnipeg on November 27th. They're going to play the movie at the concert hall, and then several of the old VJs will come out for an intimate and interactive session. And that should be a good time. And we got lots of reaction from people weighing in, remembering their favorite things about Much Music. For example, I think we, whenever we talk about old Much Music, somebody weighs in with... Another senseless tragedy. Some weird Al Yankovic. But life goes on, and... Videos must be played. And yeah, Al Music did a couple of times where Weird Al took over for a couple hours. Speaker's Corner, a couple of people mentioned uh, some iconic pieces of, I dare I say, Canadian culture were oh. created during my, Ed the Sock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there were, didn't they do a couple of different uh, game shows on Much Music uh, as well? So it, it really did change the, the media landscape uh, on a different a, diff- a couple of different landscapes or a couple of different fronts, Brett, for sure. And one of the things that both Greg and I remarked is that much music for a time in our lives was always on at least one television. And it wasn't just me. It was my sister. My dad loved much music as well. So uh, back when I know it still exists, but things are different now. People are watching music videos online. Um, it's not even the same channel anymore. It's like reality TV shows. Well, that's why they rebranded it to Much because the, they started to move away from just music videos and brought in a lot more shows. And yeah, th- things are different. Yeah, but it, it was on every like every time I went to a friend's house, it was always on. Every time somebody came to my house, it was always on. Like as teenagers, that's what we watched. Oh yeah, same here. I miss it. So here's the question. What was a state? What is, is there a show or a channel that either was or is a staple in your life? For example, of all the music I watched on Much Music, the song that I've probably heard more often in my life than any is the theme song for the young and the restless. Yes! 50 years and... Because my mom watched it every day. Sure. For as long as I can remember. Got me into it for at least 10 years. Uh, so, yeah, that's that was a huge staple in my household. What's yours? 204-780-6868. Did I steal yours, Mackling? No, you didn't steal mine. Okay. All right. It's good. a good one, though. <laughs> okay. I watched it yesterday, in fact. The Young for Restless? seven minutes. Yeah. Like, I'm all caught up. <laughs> good. You got to keep caught up. You miss a week and you're lost. 
Yeah. That's how they grab you. Yeah. And then you just watch one episode. It's, you could catch up on two, three years worth of uh, storylines. It's fabulous. I tuned in. Actually, Michael was having an important conversation with Phyllis last week. He wanted her to come home. Please that, come home. That hair is wow. startling, eh? Michael's white hair. Yeah. It's very dashing, but it's a little start. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it looks, it looks exactly the same 25 years later. I was, I was watching a show. It was like, it took place in the eighties and like, yeah, this new character on, uh, you know, I don't know if it was Victor Lucas. Is he on the young and the restless or is Victor that the Newman? Victor Newman? Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it's a new character on there. He, oh, he's a looker. And I'm like, he was still on that show in the eighties. Like it's insane. <laughs> he's been on there. Like, I think it's 43 years that he's been on there. Eric Braden. Do you watch young and the restless Sarah? I do not watch it, but I will ask my parents once in a while. What's Victor? Victor up to? What <laughs> trouble is he causing? That is, that was mine. If I was ever homesick from school, was done early, whatever, one of my parents had to come home, that is what was on, and that theme song is ingrained in my mind forever now. But yeah, pretty legendary over 50 years for sure. Wait, what about you? Well, you know, you mentioned game shows. I remember watching with my grandma uh, uh, Jeopardy, mm-hmm. always watch Jeopardy. Um, and you know, I rarely ever knew the answer, uh, but I don't know. Everybody just liked watching it and Alex Trebek and all that sort of thing. And, um, like, uh, when Regis Philbin was doing, um, uh, who wants to be a millionaire? That mm-hmm. was awesome. I remember he came back and, uh, was it in Phyllis? I think her name was Phyllis that, that she took, she did a really good job, but it wasn't like Regis, like Regis t- took it to the next level and he came back for super, je- uh, super millionaire. Do you remember that? Is that your final answer? Yeah, it was, all, it was awesome. Um, but like, there was like a weird period, like in my, in my house with my dad, where we just watched the game show network and I couldn't tell you what any of those game shows were, but there was like a year long period where we just watched game shows. Constantly. And uh, like Chuck Lorre and like hosted like 12 of them. And I, <laughs> we just kept watching. I don't even know why. Because <laughs> they're fun. Yeah. And it's, a, if it's something that you can find to do together. I think that's great. Um, did, Mackling, did we cover yours already? No. Uh, so <laughs> when we went, uh, we would go west every other summer to Kelowna to see my cousins. And then every other summer they would come here. So inevitably we'd have to stop in Banff. We always camped, but one year we actually couldn't get a campsite in Banff. So my parents had to break down and get a hotel room. And I think it would have been about 1980. CNN had just launched uh, like entranced at 11 years old. <laughs> all they have is news and they talk about news and that's all they talk about all news network. So that was, you know, the precursor to much music and the idea of, of having the same thing playing all the time. But then TSN comes along and then I, I can get my <laughs> sports all the time. And then, and then the ticker on headline news, I can't tell you how many Winnipeg Jets games I watched on the headline news ticker. They would do all <laughs> All the scores and you couldn't watch the games and so you'd wait for the ticker to go around be one nothing Detroit over the Jets and it'd go around and then the Jets would score they would go one one yeah it was like you're watching a game in live time and that was the closest thing you had to the internet at the time was the headline news ticker and that changed changed my life for a, at least two years me and my brother when we used to wake up in the morning we would cover we'd have sticky notes and we would cover this the, the bottom ticker so that when we, we would get and see the highlight, and then we would know what happened. Oh, really? Yeah. Because we would cover the ticker with sticky notes, oh so we wouldn't ruin the score, so then we saw the highlights, and we would be ex- excited. So that's, that's what we said. Is there a show or a channel that either was or is a staple in your life, whether it's something you're watching, something your parents are watching, whatever, 204-780-6868 for a chance to win either bomber tickets for Friday or tickets for the monster. We'll pick a winner at 915, and the winner shall choose the prize. It is Mackling and McGarry. We're going to talk about threads in a moment, but before that, we are asking you, is there a show or a channel that either was or is a staple in your life and back-to-back from both Sean and then Adam. Coronation Street. Adam says a jingle... Adam Strauman says it's a staple of our family that remains a staple in our family. Still watch it every day, Coronation Street. And that was another one in my house. My parents enjoyed the Coronation Street. So that's got to be the longest... I got to double-check that, but that could be the longest-running show on television. Yeah, I don't know. I know it's been on, I think... Well, Young and the Restless is 50 years. Yeah. Coronation Street's been on longer than Young and the Restless. I think so. I, I'm, I'm, I would 
put money on that. Okay. Well, there you go. I'm sure it remains a staple for a lot. So tell us what is the staple or was the staple in your house for a chance to win either tickets for the Bombers on Friday against Calgary or for the Monster, the world's largest inflatable obstacle course. And by the way, the, this segment of the show is sponsored by Buzz Boss. If you're hanging more bug lights and patio lights, visit buzzboss.com for guaranteed control of spiders, mosquitoes, wasps, and ticks. So, two of the world's richest men who might find a better use for their time running their multiple Fortune 500 companies have, have publicly agreed to fight each other in a proposed cage match. <laughs> our, our eager competitors are Twitter owner and Tesla CEO Elon Musk, 51, and Meta CEO and recent jiu-jitsu enthusiast Mark Zuckerberg, 39. There's nowhere else the story could have emerged but on social media that bread and butter of these two men. Musk tweeted last Tuesday night that he'd be up for a cage match with Zuckerberg. Ridiculous. What is all this madness about tech analyst, journalist, and frequent guest across the Chorus Radio Network and right here on 680 CJOB? Carmi Levy joins us now. Carmi, good morning. Good morning, guys. Great to be here. <laughs> so Zuckerberg and Meta are about to launch threads. Uh, just for those that might not be paying attention, tell us what that is. And, and, and maybe more importantly, in my mind, has Zuckerberg been lying in wait with this, just waiting for the like most opportune time to pull the trigger on this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So threads is basically Meta's, which, of course, they own Facebook. They own Instagram and WhatsApp. It's their answer to Twitter. It's their hopefully their Twitter killer. Um, if you've ever used uh, alternatives like Mastodon, Post News, Hive Social, they all look alike. They look, they basically do exactly the same thing as Twitter does, just the colors and the logo are a little bit different. It's, you know, they're, they're all kind of cut from the same cloth. Uh, Timing-wise, I mean, it is probably the best bit of timing imaginable. Right after Elon Musk decides to basically stick the sword deep into Twitter, give it the final sort of kill shot uh, after months of essentially doing the same thing bit by bit, removing the reasons for us to use Twitter entirely until he finally says, you can only read so many tweets in a given day. So we're going to turn social media into anti-social media and send everyone heading for the exits. And then just a few days later, along comes Mark Zuckerberg and says, hey, here's Thread." So yeah, I think it's the best timing that we've probably ever seen in the industry. But, you know, these things take a long time to create. Developing software is huge, especially global. So we know this has been in the works for a very long time. I think it's coincidental, but I'm sure that Mark Zuckerberg is probably looking at the calendar and going, I couldn't have planned this better if I had tried. And uh, and I think a lot of people are going to give it a lot more attention than they did the Mastodons and the Posts and the Hives a few months ago, because Unlike those where you signed up for them and then nothing because none of your friends came over, the difference with Threads is that it ties to your Instagram account. So it's a freestanding app, but you sign in using your Instagram username and password. And as soon as you do, it pulls in your Instagram network. So from the moment that you start using it, you've got an entire community to communicate with, which is a massive advantage compared to anyone else who wanted to knock Twitter off its perch. So what is the deal, by the way, with that limiting the number of tweets that users can see in a day? Like, isn't that counterintuitive? Yeah, well, it's because Elon Musk is, can I say the word moron on air? I, I'm guessing. Sure. But uh, yeah, so Elon Musk is a moron, and he's basically been mismanaging Twitter since the moment he showed up. And he's got a bandwidth problem. He says the excuse that he used for this is that artificial intelligence companies are scraping huge amounts of data from Twitter as part of the training process, because AI tools have to be trained using data scooped up from the open internet. Uh, but the thing is, He's the only one who's complaining about it. Every other big tech company, they're just, it's just business as usual. So I don't buy that excuse for a second. I do notice, though, that on the calendar, their uh, Twitter's contract with Google for their Google Cloud service was up on June 30th. We know that he's been complaining about uh, his network costs are too high. We know that he hasn't been paying his bills. Landlords are suing him for back rent. Tra uh, travel companies, uh, travel agencies um, are also suing them in court because they refuse to pay for travel that has already been booked and happened. Uh, they're also refusing to pay vendors, including network providers. So essentially, he's trying to reduce his network usage. And one best way to do that is say, hey, don't use Twitter so much. 
But that's kind of not the way that social media works. And I don't want to sit there scrolling through my feed wondering, am I going to hit the end of it anytime soon? You know, we just had a tornado in, in Alberta. We know that emergency services often use Twitter as a real-time notification tool to entire communities. Uh, do you want to turn that off? Elon Musk apparently does. That is absolutely dirty pool. And I think that is finally, from everyone I've been talking to since this first broke over the weekend, it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. They're just finally set up with Elon. And I think the timing is right to look at alternatives and finally leave Mr. Musk behind. So uh, just about 45 seconds here, Carmen, but the whole idea that Twitter is doing its best on its own to make itself less relevant, could threads make Twitter irrelevant altogether? You mentioned the terminology Twitter killer. Is, is there a, a chance of Twitter going away altogether eventually? I think so. Well, you know, I think it's kind of like the next Tumblr or the next Yahoo, uh, you know, that, you, you know, they, they had a, a goose, they, you know, they killed the goose that, that killed it, that laid the golden egg. And I think Elon Musk, He's been trying to turn Twitter into something that's driven by subscriber revenue. You get extra features if you pay for a Twitter Blue subscription, but he's been devaluing it for any, anyone else. If you don't pay, you basically have a terrible experience. And I think most people are looking at the time they spend on this and going, I'm not getting enough out of it anymore. Maybe I will look to an alternative. And I think Threads is probably ideally positioned. But I think this is also a good time for us to look at all of social media and go, is it really the deal that we thought it was? Or maybe we should just be turning this stuff off and hanging out with our friends in real life. I'm leaning more toward the other one because I'm thinking this whole social media experiment, not quite what we thought it was when it first started about 20 years ago. Carmi Levy, thank you so much for the insight as always, sir. We appreciate it. Great being here, guys, as do I. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week. And next week, we are asking you about a show or a channel that either was or is a staple in your life. Because we were talking about much music yesterday and how often that channel was on in the background. And uh, one of our listeners says Unsolved Mysteries was a staple. And perhaps maybe is because Netflix relaunched it in recent years. And uh, once I saw that, I thought there is an excuse to play one of the cooler theme songs of uh, all time. So. Trying to remember, who, who was the host of that? It's Robert Stack. Oh, Robert Stack. Uh, the Untouchables, one of my favorite uh, black and white. The uh, Desilu Productions. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. The Untouchables. It was so dramatic. <laughs> and help us solve the mystery. What does uh, Giselle have, though? A faithful watcher of The Young and the Restless since it started. When my dog is napping, get this, and the Y&R tune starts, she lifts her head and watches the TV till the tune stops. Really? <laughs> yes. I think she likes the violins and the music, LOL. But uh, she does like music in general. But all day long, uh, to keep her company, the radio is on CJOB. What's your dog's name, Giselle? Let me say hi to your puppers. And on the subject of CJOB, another listener with a pretty simple one. Peter Warren. Why don't you take a long walk off a short pier? I don't know why I suddenly turned him into a New Yorker. No, that's, he had that accent. Ladies, are your beds made yet? <laughs> oh, he's got lots of, lots of quotables over the years. Peter Warren, <laughs> legend. So tell us what is a show or a channel that is or was a staple in your life for a chance to win either bomber tickets for Friday's game or the monster, the largest inflatable obstacle course. We're going to, that's coming in August to IG field. We'll pick the winner at nine 15. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off this week and next week. We've got Winnipeg Sea Bears tickets to give away a bit later on this half hour, just after 7.55. And in a moment, we're talking food waste. But before that, on this, the question this morning is, is there a show or channel that either was or is, remains a staple in your home? And Smokin' Steve uh, weighing in with uh, something just a touch different, Greg. Yeah, he says, my parents got a 10-foot satellite dish in 1982 MTV during the day. Playboy Channel at night. We would get y before, during, and the next day shows all the same time. Oh, that's interesting. So Young and the Restless during the the, the before, during, and next day show. Because I know that uh, that the, the, the show that airs 
weekday afternoons at 4.30 on Global yes. is the episode that then airs the next day on CBS at 11 or 11.30, whatever time that is. So we've always had a leg up on our American friends when it comes to Young and the Restless. My mom worked for Zipper Courier years ago, and every once in a while, that's the pickup she would do, the pickup and the delivery to CKND when it was down on St. Mary's and St. Anne's would be the physical copy of the Y&R really? show. Yeah. <laughs> That's neat. Yeah. I went, I went to CKND today. Yeah. Guess what I had? <laughs> she knew exactly. So it was uh, one of those, was one of those packages people uh, took pride in uh, picking up. It was, it was kind of a neat game That's in our a house. Valuable package. Kind of wild, right? Oh man. All right. So keep those stories coming. Shows or channels that either were or are staples in your home. We've got bomber tickets up for grabs. And tickets for the monster. We're going to pick a winner at 9.15, and the winner shall choose the prize. Right now, we want to talk about food waste. Canadians' misunderstanding of best before dates could be contributing to excess food waste and, in turn, food insecurity. This is according to experts, as a government committee is urging Ottawa to examine the issue. Yeah, a report on grocery affordability from a House of Commons committee on agriculture and agri-food includes arguments that Canada do away with best before dates due to the widespread, mis- widespread pardon me, misconception that they indicate whether a product is safe to consume. Experts say all they indicate is when a product is past its peak freshness. Fresh food educator and professional home economist Getty Stewart joins us now. Thanks for joining us again, Getty. Good morning. Thank you. So how did these best before dates become the dry, clean, only tags of food? (laughs) Um, You know, it started as a tool for grocers. So when... Uh, big uh, uh, grocery stores and department stores happened um, in the 30s to 50s or 40s to 50s. Um, they were used as a tool for helping uh, retailers know when to sell the product. And then consumers sort of caught on to, hey, this sell-by date thing. And then it turned into a best-before date. And then the rule is that they are only required by Canadian law to be on products with a shelf life of 90 days or less. But now you see these best before dates on just about every product, even salt, which should last indefinitely, now has a best before date. Now, our question of the day at CJOB.com, what do you do with food that's passed its best before date? 44% say give it the smell test. 33% say give me that. It's still good. And 23% say throw it away. So when it comes to something like milk, uh, Getty, for so many, that date is gospel. They just simply will not go past the date, not even interested in the sniff test. It, but should we be doing the sniff test? Absolutely. Dairy is a great one. Um, Dairy will tell you when it's uh, no longer fit to eat. And it's um, uh, technically sour milk is not harmful for us. It is very unpleasant. If you've ever had a sip of uh, sour milk, you know that. But it's perfectly still safe for us. It's an indicator to us that, hey, you really need to be using this up. Go ahead and bake with it. Make some pancakes with it. Um, it. It's still good to use. And it's a reminder that, hey, maybe next time buy the two-liter jug, not the four-liter. Sorry, hang You're saying sour milk is still okay to consume? Yes. And our, uh, our grandparents um, would use it all the time. That's what... Um, uh, this is where a lot of our soft cheeses come from. This is where a lot of our pound cakes and sour cream and uh, those kinds of things uh, come from. They, our grandparents were skilled at using that in cakes and baked goods and so forth. So absolutely. So there is a point of no return. But when you're doing that sniff test and you're just like, mm, I don't know, this is suspect. So it's not completely curdled and off. Uh, absolutely, you can use it. I find it funny. <laughs> sour cream is one of my favorite condiments, if we can call it that. And uh, But I will have nothing to do with milk. That's behind the date. Yeah. No, that's um, shame on you. Yeah, shame on you're, me. You're, no. you're, you're, you're missing out. And of course, you know, processes have changed and it's not. And uh, today's sour, uh, sour cream and yogurt are made differently. But um, yeah, those were the, the forefathers of, uh, of those products. 
All right. So when in doubt, throw it out is another adage some of us use in managing what's in our fridge. And confession here. Last week we cleaned our fridge and I won't even admit how many jars, bottles and containers that had food in them way too long, at least from our point of view. How, how do we manage that better, Getty? So again, um, think about how much you are buying when you're bringing things into uh, into the household. I'd, I'd say overbuying um, is one of the key culprits of food food waste as, as well. Um, and then you know, instead of buying 15 different types of condiments, think about how you can make your own at home. So make your own salad dressing for just one salad. So keep a bottle of oil, some really great, delicious uh, types of vinegar that will last in your shelf for years. Um, And then you can mix and match your own. Think about, you know, instead of buying the... um, ketchup aioli mix your own mayonnaise and ketchup and that's what that is in that separate condiment bottle so we don't need to um, be purchasing all these extras is it and i this is maybe unrealistic for a lot of us just to be given how busy life can be but is it not a is it maybe a good idea to just like buy as you need and make multiple stops to the store through a week rather than like that one giant buy um yes for some people that would be a great strategy for others they'd be tempted to do more (laughs) impulse buying when they go to the store multiple times but so each family sort of needs to figure out what is the the main culprit for food waste in your house is it that cucumber that you know you only ever eat half of it or you buy the three pack when you really only need the one so even the if the price per unit is a little bit higher, in the end, you're saving money by buying the one cucumber. Or is it the sour cream that you're tossing? So buy the smaller container. We think bulk buying is the key to, to saving money. But if we're tossing the food, we're tossing away money. Getty, uh, Loren will often mention the fact that bananas are one of the things that have, you know, the price of bananas has stayed sta- stable most mostly through the pandemic and post-pandemic. And uh, bananas is one thing. I I tell you, we always ultimately end up with bananas that, you know, quote-unquote have gone bad. But there's so many ways to use these these food items once they're past their prime, right? Exactly. And bananas are a great example where we have learned. It's like, hey, I can make muffins with this. I can make it, put it in a smoothie. I can use this. So we've, we've, become accustomed to using our bananas once they've turned uh, brown. Now we just need to get accustomed to doing that same idea with other foods. And there's tons of recipes and ideas for using uh, foods that, that are just past their, uh, their prime, but still perfectly safe to eat. Love Food Hate Waste uh, Canada is uh, an excellent resource for something like that. All right, before we let you go, have we missed anything? I think if um, it'll be interesting to see how this discussion goes on whether or not the best before dates go away in Canada and what the replacement benchmark tool for Canadians is going to be. That's what I'm curious about. Getty Stewart, fresh food educator and professional home economist. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. And I guess, yeah, I never, I realized that sour cream is, it's right there in the name, but the idea of consuming so I thought when the milk was sour that it was just bad, but it gets curdled is the the difference. I don't know. I've I opened milk that was two weeks. It, it sat in my fridge for unopened. Two weeks past the date, I'm like, do I even want to open this? And I did, and it was fine. Yeah, well, in particular, storing it is is important. You know, if it's at the back of the fridge and you haven't opened it, you haven't left it out on the counter, that's worse than anything, than the date, is leaving the milk on the counter for a couple of hours. Then you're then you're kind of playing with, with fire there a little bit. But yeah, if it's been in your refrigerator unopened at the back of the fridge, and it's a week, 10 days past, I have no, no problem with that. And Forte, make sure you don't leave a Subway tuna sandwich out on the <laughs> kitchen counter overnight. Yeah, that, 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 that one's maybe a little different. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb's off for a couple of weeks. We're going to head out to Birds Hill in a moment and be joined by the Clayman. But before that, Greg, you just 
said, oh my gosh, you are correct. What were you talking about? This has to have to do with the contest question? Sort of does. We were talking about Buckley's late night review. Yeah, Bundy's late night oh, review Bundy's, with yeah, Buckley. Buckley and Beave. The, the second puppet was Buckley, right? Yeah, we, we you remembered Beave, and then I started laughing, and then we couldn't. There was a dog. I couldn't remember the dog, and it's Buckley. So say a whole bunch of our listeners. Global TV. This from uh, Brian two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Global TV needs to reboot their old Bundy's late night review with a new host. That was on MTN. By the way, back in the day, it wasn't on Global, but that's okay. I, I like where this is going. Clay Young as the host. <laughs> Clay's late night review would be a guaranteed ratings hit, not only locally, but across the entire national global network. And I figured, well, that's brilliant. Why not? Well, what I said was that would be spec. No, no. Spock-tacular. <laughs> and they could, they could feature Star Trek <laughs> episodes. I like that. Well, hey, he'd be a great host. This is this is what it sounded like uh, just before eight o'clock with him at Folk Fest talking to some of the folkies. Uh, let's keep going here, Rudy. Hello, hi, hi, everyone. We're on live television on Global. You guys want to go a uh, hip hip or come on? Okay, keep it going down the line there. Keep it going. It's like the wave, you know. <laughs> There's no one like Clay Young. Nobody like Clay Young. We wanted to get on, get in on the Clay Hem, the Clay Oss, whichever you prefer. Clay Young joining us from Birds Hill Park, and you're even putting in like an extra half hour just to be live on location because you're that authentic, Clay. Thank you, my friend. You know, I just sort of clicked on and I could hear my name, and I was going, "Okay, I'm not sure what what's going on here." <laughs> well, you're beloved. That was funny. You're beloved. No, that was fun. That was fun. Um, you know, as I, I said to some of the people, you know, I, I approached them before we went to air because, you know, it's live TV. <laughs> you got to vet these guys and making sure everything's cool. Okay. I'm just kind of, kind of wade in here. Is that okay? Everyone, you know, cool with that? And, uh, we did it. You know, we do things outside the box around here. You guys know that. <laughs> well, speaking of outside the box, I'm on the website, Folk Fest, Winnipeg folkfestival.ca and it says the festival itself doesn't start for another one day seven hours 50 51 minutes now seven seconds what's the deal why is everybody there today i tell you like you're right the the festival officially gets going tomorrow but when we set this up we said hey we want to come out and do live hits you know opening day on a thursday he said no 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 what you want to do is come out wednesday the day before and i said okay and why is that well now i know because i'm just looking at a sea of vehicles and there was that huge lineup i mean and i'm with lynn scromita the executive director so I've been to the Folk Festival, right, prior years, but I've never been here the day before, and that's when all the things get really, I mean, it's wild out here. It's really fun. People are so excited to get into our campground, so that's what everybody's doing here this morning. They've lined up, and they're getting uh, their wristbands on, and they're heading straight to the campground to set up their sites for the weekend. How many people, now I know last year you had a full festival, um the two prior years the pandemic no festivals uh but this year it's full steam ahead full steam ahead everything's happening the way it should be this year we have actually a waiting list for volunteers for the first time in over a decade we have no supply chain issues we have no scheduling challenges so far the weather's looking good like it's actually coming up folk fest this year and you know we got here very early but when we finally uh, met up uh, you were so excited, and you're, this is like Christmas to you. It is, absolutely. This is my favorite place to be and my favorite time of year. How many people are you expecting uh, starting, well, I guess starting today, because they, they're already streaming in here until it all wraps up on Sunday, correct? That's right. So the festival proper starts tomorrow at 5 o'clock, and that's when all the audience comes in. So anybody who's traveling from the city for the day or, or whatever will, will come in tomorrow. So there'll be over 75,000 people here over the course of the weekend. How is the, uh, this festival different? I mean, this is festival time. 
in 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 Winnipeg, Southern Manitoba. We got all these festivals. We got the Fringe coming up. Uh, we've done the Comedy Festival before. I, I'm trying to think of all the festivals. There's so many. I can't think of them all. Why is why is the Folk Fest so unique? It's just a special community that gets built here every year. Like with everybody coming out, we turn into the third largest city in Manitoba every summer. And it's the music. You have seven different stages during the day, two different stages at night of all different kinds of stuff to choose from. Everybody's in a great mood. We've got tons of local uh, restaurants and local artisans and local performers here as well. So it's just really that big kickoff to summer that happens out here. Yeah, and and you were telling me when we when we got here, yeah, and people were going by in bikes, carrying little tent bags and stuff. There's some guy who skateboarded in here. Like, was this year or last year? That was last year. Last yeah. year, he skateboarded from Winnipeg into the Birds Hill Park. Yeah, left in the middle of the night to get here, so he could be one of the first people in line. Yeah, and the people have coming in on bikes. I was greeting them. You know, I was saying I'm the Walmart greeter. Hi. Come on in, right? <laughs> you see, you got me in the mood. I know, I know. You're a perfect You're going to have to come and do this every year now. I think you're right. Uh, I could. Oh, let's talk about the volunteers. Because uh, on our last hit, we had you and one of the volunteers. How much do you depend on them? We could not put this festival on without the volunteers. We have 2,300 people that help us out every year. And uh, there's 58 different crews. Everything from kitchen crews to traffic to uh, our green room to help the artists out to make sure people get to the stages okay and everything. So there's just lots and lots of people who are involved in making this event happen. And yeah, we're almost out of time, but you got a new stage? Yeah, we have a new main stage uh, as of this year. Uh, it's going to have better video screens, better audio, better production. Artists are going to be happier, and it's just going to be like the, a show like you've never seen. Well, and who are the uh, some of the artists? You don't have to run them all down, but uh, tell us who's here. Yeah, we're kicking things off on Thursday with uh, Manit uh, Manitoba uh, favorite William Prince. Uh, we have Fleet Foxes, also a great indie band. Amy Lou Harris on Friday. Amy Lou Harris. Yeah, Amy Lou's gonna. Got to find some Amy Lou Harris music to take us out. I don't know if they can do that back there. They can do anything back there at CJOB. You know that? They're very talented. Yeah, I know. They are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rufus, we got Rufus Wainwright. We got Charlie Crockett. We've got. Gregory Allen Isaacoff, who's a fantastic folk musician. We've got Vance Joy, who did a sellout show in Winnipeg at the concert hall just a few months ago. And the War on Drugs, who won a Grammy just a couple years ago, too. So, like, big, big artists. Yeah, this is this is big stuff we got, we're got we dealing with here. Like, like I said, I've been here in years, but as a spectator, right? But I've never been here the day before. This is actually the unofficial start. It really is, because this is when the campgrounds open. Because so, we want everybody set and sorted so that when they can come out to the festival on uh, Thursday, they don't have to worry about setting up their campsites or anything. That's already all done. So it's controlled chaos. Or chaos. I'm sorry. Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's sweeping the nation. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's go back to you guys. Clay Young joining us live from Folk Fest. Thank you so much, Clay Young from Global News Morning, joining us live on 680 CGOB on location out in Birds Hill. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is off. We are asking you about a show or a channel that was or is a staple in your life. It was inspired by, we were talking about much music yesterday, and we carried that through today because for, you know, for both Greg and I, much music was on all the time during a certain point of our lives. And Joanne, the luggage lady, says, My mindless pleasure is watching W for all the Hallmark movies. <laughs> I find they're either made here in Manitoba or in BC, where my cousin is an actor and is often in them. My kitchen TV is usually stuck on this channel from late October through January. And then Joanne adds, Greg, I started watching Y&R, Young and Restless, back in the late 70s when my mom would watch it, and I would be home from school for lunch. I kept up with it for years. I tune in now and then, but find there are just too many characters I don't know to figure out the plot now. But it is still nice to see the old stalwarts like Victor, Jack, Nikki, Ashley, and Cricket. Cricket Blair. I remember when uh, she started on the show. I think her dad's like one of the producers or something. Yeah. Kristen Bell or something, I think is her actual name. Anyway, she was with Danny Romilotti, I think, for a while. Yeah. Anyway, you know, Y&R. It's an absolute staple. Well, and here's another person. We got a lot of people weighing in today on <laughs> Young and the Restless. This listener says, every summer, my daughter would stay with my parents at their farm. 
Young and the Restless was my dad's favorite. So 1997, when Titanic came out, they took her to see it. She was nine. And when Victor Newman appeared on Titanic, because he did, you might remember, he he paused, took a pause in the show so he could go be in this movie. So when he appears on the screen, she screamed his name, Victor Newman! <laughs> and the theater burst into laughter. Fantastic. She'll be in 35 next month. It still burns me that his role was so tiny. Was on so, Titanic? Yeah. He had like a one, two scenes. Come on. he's what, he And he's actually been quite vocal over the years. He, he knows... He's one of the most recognizable faces. It's like why why don't uh, why don't the daytime actors get the endorsements and whatnot? You, more people know who we are, and he's right, Victor and Nikki. Yeah, the, the, I get a majority of people will know Nikki and Victor just from a picture. You know who, who is this person? They, they, I would say more than half. Yeah, of the planet. But uh, our winner is Marie. And uh, (laughs) I think that Marie can speak to a lot of us with this one. My go-to TV channel, Against My Will, says Marie. Growing up, my mom always kept the TV tuned to Environment Canada. (laughs) Remember the green on the top and the bottom and the multicolors, right? I think it was Channel 9. I think you're right, Marie. For the actual ticker line style information plus of course, the background music. I remember it was always on. We would wait patiently for the screen to scroll through across the provinces for all the important weather forecast. And if you missed it, it felt like an eternity until it scrolled around again. Years later, packing up the house, we discovered, get this, images of the Environment Canada lines were burned into the back <laughs> of the face of that old TV screen. It had been on that channel for so long. That happened to a lot of people over the years. (laughs) Environment Canada burned into the television. Burned in our memories forever. (laughs) Marie, thank you for the laugh. Congratulations. You win either the bomber tickets for Friday's game or tickets for the Monster, the world's largest inflatable obstacle course coming in August. You will pick and then we'll let you know who wins the other prize after Global News at 930. I saw this tweet the other day, and I'm not going to identify who this person is from because it's not even somebody I follow. I think somebody I follow replied to them, whatever. Uh, and I don't know anything about this person, and I'm not going to judge them for because I don't know their life experience. But the tweet reads, and this was tweeted out on July 1st, Canada Day. The tweet reads, if you claim to be an Indigenous ally, but you are celebrating Canada Day, I'm giving you massive side eye." And I didn't go through the whole thread, but one reply reads, since when did this become one or the other? I love my indigenous brothers and sisters, and I love my country. I can celebrate both. It doesn't have to be a choice or be divisive. And then the original tweeter replied, what you're celebrating is colonialism. And then I just put my phone down and I thought, I think this is something we should talk about, but I don't really know how to talk about it and what questions to ask. Well, you and I had this discussion subsequently in the newsroom after me getting back from holidays on Tuesday morning. I said, you know what, this is this is absolutely a mandatory discussion, but I don't think this is one you and I can have without one of our Indigenous brothers or sisters on the line. So that's what we've done. We've reached out to our good friend, award-winning and acclaimed author, David Robertson. David, good morning, my friend. Hello, boys. How you doing? We're doing very well. It's always a, a pleasure. You know, we look for excuses to, to speak to you. And so what's your response to uh, Brett's response to that tweet? Can, can we, should we be talking about this first? And then we can dig down a little bit deeper into uh, what was said in that back and forth between the, the two folks on socials. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a contentious day or has become a contentious day over the last few years. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on the, on the side of what we have to acknowledge is that this day means something different to everybody from person to person. Um, a lot, there's a lot like stories, you know, there's, there's one, there's more than one truth, uh, depending on who is telling the story and stories are about finding those truths and they're about respecting those truths and learning uh, from one another. And so I think that this, this day can be something for somebody uh, and it can mean something different for somebody else. I think the important thing is to acknowledge those differences and what that day means to other people 
Um, and within the context of, you know, reconciliation and, and um, you know, what, what I've dedicated my career to, and a lot of people have, um, you know, this, I don't personally celebrate Canada Day, but I don't, I don't judge anybody for doing that. Um, a lot of people who do a lot of good work um, go out and have a bit of a party that day. And it doesn't mean that to me that they're any less of an ally than um, on any other day. Um, so I just think there needs to be a bit of a step back here um, and a recognition that we can have these relationships, we can build things together. Um, and as long as we're aware of what that day means to other people and we respect that, um, you know, I, I don't think that it means that we're, we're less of an ally or less of a friend to somebody else um, because it means something different to us. And as I mentioned, I, I don't want to judge the person who sent out that that original tweet because I don't know them. I don't know their experience. I don't know what's driving their their frustration or their potential anger. But my one of my and I had so many reactions and, and questions, and I just I couldn't sort of organize them. But one of the reactions that that, that I had immediately was that that kind of rhetoric or that sort of while I sort of might understand where it could be coming from, I also wonder, is this helpful? And so I guess I'll ask you that question. Is this helpful, perhaps even in the sense that, well, it started a conversation? Well, that's just it, Brett. It's like, it is helpful, I think, in a way, because we're talking about it. You know, here we are on the radio talking about it. Um, so I think it, 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 if it is, is enabled to elicit some sort of a conversation between people, um, then I think that there is there is value. And I think the other thing, too, is we don't know what that person has been through, you know. And and that's the awareness thing, is that, you know, this person who tweeted that, um, they may have something in their history that's really hard um, that has happened because of the fact that Canada is founded on um, colonialism. Um, and so, we you know, I think that we ha- we have to pause before casting any sort of judgment on this person and how they've reacted to um, people celebrating on that day because they have their own truth. Um, You know, my grandmother, as you know, went to residential school. Um, My dad went to a day school in Norway House. And so we have that in my family history as well. Um, You know, and I, I feel like what we need to be in the business of, though, is is building relationship. And when we do that, really good things can happen. And so I feel like there needs to be a balance that we find. Um, and so while we acknowledge other people's harms, and I think that harm is in my family as well, um, we, we always need to think of how we can move forward best together. And I don't think um, breaking down relationships um, helps us to move forward um, together in, in a healthy and good way. And another thing, and, and, and one of the other things I was thinking as well, David, is that while it may might start a conversation and we're trying to have a healthy conversation, for a lot of people, they, if, they, if they see that kind of comment, human beings being human beings, sometimes we can be stubborn and we might push back just because. You know, like, oh, fine, you don't, uh, you, you, you want to be that way, then I'll, then I'll be this way. And, and then the gap, rather than bringing people together, we sort of push people, push each other apart. Yeah, I think that that's a human reaction. I think that we kind of we kind of are, are prone to as people act quickly. I think it's almost like a product of the time that we're living in too. Is that we're so you know in in this area of era of social media, social media, when we see something, we immediately react to it. And uh, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, and it was it's this thing where um, you know when something happens. We, we, we immediately um, have some sort of visceral reaction to it without giving any sort of a sober second thought to it and, and just giving a pause and seeing where that truth is or where the, how this thing plays out or what other truths reveal themselves. And I think that's part of like the human condition right now. And I think it's, it's a good practice um, to take a breath, you know, and just to, just to you know, let things percolate, um, you know, read it through, think about it and have, it, have a conversation about it together. And that, I think, is the, the, the answer to this. It's let's just sit down, what we're doing right now, guys, and let's just, like, let's just, t- let's just chat and let's talk it through. And, and that kind of communication, respectful communication between two people um, or even between you know, all the people listening to this program right now and, 
and and me and you um a lot of good a lot of good good comes from that sort of conversation uh, hopefully anyway sometimes it's just having the courage to to reach out cuz i i i hemmed and hawed a little bit i, I never really hesitate to reach out to you, David, as a friend or in the capacity that we're, we're working together with or, or about today. But it's just like, you know, I feel bad. I'm always reaching out to David because we're talking about indigenous stuff. And, 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 and that's not necessarily the case because we celebrate your, your work as an author and, and predominantly your work is tied to that. But I think we would be speaking to you in any regard, because we're just so proud of the work that you've done and your Manitoban and a homegrown success. How do we, how do we get over that idea of maybe going, speaking to a neighbor who's, and, and doesn't have to be indigenous, any sort of different heritage or, or background and, and open the dialogue about, about our differences and, and finding those, those commonalities that might strengthen a relationship or even create one in the first place. Yeah, well, first of all, let me say, I mean, I, could, I obviously, as you know, I consider you guys friends. Um, yeah, I think that I'm friends with the station, I'm friends with you guys, and I, I love the fact that you have me on and we have that relationship. Um, but you know that that, that trust comes from, um, Greg, it comes from, like, the fact that we've, we've built that relationship on a foundation of respect. And I think that when you approach somebody um, with that understanding and respect, um, you know, even when you're, ha- when you're bringing up difficult things, um, then I don't think anything, hopefully, um, really bad can come from that. Um, as long as you understand that you have, we may have different opinions, we may have different viewpoints because we come from, um, we come from different places and different experiences. But as long as we, we come to those conversations with acknowledgement that other people have different truths and other people have different experiences and we understand and respect those things, then I think that we can, we can move into productive places together. Um, and honestly, like I, I don't mind at all. I, I look forward to you texting me, asking me if I can come on because I feel like as much as I know that you guys support me as an author, I also know that like um, we can talk about other things and, I don't feel pigeonholed into being someone who speaks on indigenous issues. I think it's part of the role that I have. And I think that everybody needs to figure out what the role can be. Um, and if we, if we do think about those things and we do play out the roles that we can play, then I think that, you know, we're heading in the right direction. David Robertson is his name. He is an award-winning best-selling author. Thank you so much for joining us, David. We always appreciate your insight. All right. Love you guys. Take care.